Now I stand forsaking pride The time has come to turn the tide I've drawn the line, I've built my wall And I won't let one more dream fall Oh, days of innocence I surrendered long ago Where's the wind that takes me higher? Still get shelter. I wanna go back to find the innocent days that I left behind. I still believe they're holding ground behind the battle lines. If it takes a million miles on land to see, gonna swim in the rivers of purity. I know they still.
Hello, welcome again to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard, and that was John Wetton and Battle Lines, one of the highlights from the John Wetton and Extraordinary Life box set. And I've got one of John's friends and collaborators, Annie Haslam, here today to talk about her memories of John and Renaissance highlights. So let's hear my chat with Annie. It's um, fantastic to see you, and uh, it'd be great to talk about the John Wetton box set Mm -hmm. and I know that you've worked together a number of times as well as your own work as well of course so if that's good for you whatever you want yeah yeah you sound like you're up north certainly am yes I'm outside Leeds oh I come from Bolton probably know that yeah Yeah. we've got similar accents on the different sides of the Pennines but the sort of Leeds Manchester area have got similar Uh, yeah I had a very strong accent so my mum and dad sent me for elocution lessons because they knew something, and they couldn't afford it, really. But they must have known, and I would need it later on. Oh, you should talk like this, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's not been quite knocked out of me. <laughs> if I'm with people that are speaking that kind of accent, right. I'd soon just get back into it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, um, I mean, I've been delving into the John Wetton box set. Yes. How has it been for you in terms of listening to it? And I mean, it must bring back memories of some of the times that you've had with John over the years and obviously his tragic passing as well. Yes. Oh, gosh. Well, yeah, we, it's it's interesting because it's almost like there's been different omens through my life of different things happening and then coming around full circle and like really unbelievable stuff. Like one of them, the first album I bought was King Crimson with John in it, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. But when I joined the band in 1971, uh, we needed a bass player for some shows, including the Reading Festival. And Ed Bicknell, who was our agent, at, I'm not quite sure if Ed was our agent at that point, but he knew John and he recommended to our agent, uh, John Sherry, I think it was, that he would, you know, fit the bill really well. He only did four shows with us, but memorable i mean he, he had everything he had every single thing that you need for success he had a lovely personality he was really good looking great singer which is my biggest thing that i love about john was his voice a great bass player obviously a great he became a great songwriter as well but he was he was certainly destined for bigger things or not no i wouldn't say bigger things because we were all starting out but it was obvious that he needed to front a band and so it wasn't for him, it was like a stepping stone, but that's when we first met. And, uh, you know, the years went by and, you know, when you're a ba- in a band that's uh, constantly, I guess this John was as well, we were kind of pioneers in a way. Yeah. We rehearse, record, tour constantly, nonstop. And so you didn't get a chance to, to get into other bands so much. So I, I had no idea that over the years John had become such a prolific and brilliant songwriter. The next time uh, we were in touch, I was in Japan, in, in Tokyo. Virgin Records had just released my epic album called my self-titled um, Annie Haslam album. I was in the A&R department. And the guy said, oh, so something Asia came up. And he said, oh, they're in Nagoya t- tonight or something. And I said, oh, I wonder if we could get John on the phone. And uh, we did. We got him on the phone. We spoke for quite a while, actually. It was lovely to catch up with him. And so different because, you know, the years had gone by and we were old, that kind of thing, you know, like we felt like we were kids before. That was wonderful. And then the next time 
which was another few years later. Do you remember a magazine called The Classic Rock Society? Yeah. Yeah, wasn't that fantastic? They asked me to if I wanted to do a column, or I might have asked them if I could do a column. I think I was living over here then, actually, so that must have been the early 90s. So it was called um, Egg and Chips, Bread and Butter and a Cup of Tea, which is what everybody had at the Blue Boar in the, yeah. the night, you know, uh, on the M1 in the 70s and onwards. Yeah. And, you know, I remember going there and, like you know, Queen were in there and Slade and all these. So, you know, it was – and they were all just, you know, sausages and chips, egg and chips, mugs, giant mugs of tea, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning. It was amazing. And so – Anyway, that's why I called it the, the column there. And, and I said to anybody that I, you know, the people that I interviewed, I said, I want you to tell me something that you've never told anybody else, please. You know, it was great. And so uh, John d- did one of them. And that's because that's when we were talking again. And then the next time was, wasn't for years later when he contacted me about singing on the Icon album in a song called In the End with uh, Jeff Downs. Beautiful record. Oh, isn't it beautiful? The, the song is, I think the word is angst, is is a good word for John's voice in that because he he was going through a very rough time and, it, and to me, you can you can hear it in his voice because that was one of my favourite things about him, you know, and you could tell that there was something not quite right. But the recording with Larry Fast, actually, who's, who's a producer that, you know, John knew and he's, he's over here. So I did my vocals over here. And um, and then I think I called up for him at the studio. Um, we were talking about something, and I called him up at the studio in England. And before he came on the phone, I was speaking to somebody that told me, you know, John, I think I should tell you that John's not very well. I had no idea. Yeah. I had no idea what was happening, except that I felt that there was something not right.
And so I decided that um, apparently that, that he did, he needed help. And sometimes you need help from somebody else that's, that's far away or somebody on the outside, you know what I mean, to, to be able to look at it in a different way and, and, and do what, what has to be done without too much um, emotion involved in it. So I packed my bags and I went out to England. And um, it, it took me tri- two trips to actually uh, get it all together. It was very difficult. But then, wonderful at the same time, and I, met, I did an interview yesterday. I was saying that one day he said, "Why don't we sing Jerusalem together?" So we go in the dining room, and he's got a, he had a beautiful, it's probably still there, I think, a Steinway piano, and we started singing Jerusalem. And it was like we just like the, the roof came off the house, and all the angels came in. It was the most amazing feeling, and I think that that was the, you know the catalyst, really, to be honest, of all of it. And what happened um, after that, and um, with the help of Martin Darvel, who was um, John's manager, he was there for me if, if, if I needed any extra help and things like that. He was like my support while I was there because I was completely on my own, even though I stayed yeah. at John's house. And, yeah, in the end, uh, the second trip uh, managed to get him into rehab. 
and um, you never look back. It was amazing. It was sad because we were talking so much every day uh, for so long, and then all of a sudden it stopped because then it, he had to get he had to move on to the next stage in his life. It's interesting you mentioned Jerusalem because when I'm listening to that box set, whether it's an archangel or or maybe even mighty rivers, there are biblical type references or, or choral or church music elements that I can hear strongly in places. Yeah, when I got back from the trip, I went to see a friend of mine who was a clairvoyant and a very gifted lady I've known for many years. I just remember saying to her, because I couldn't paint for a while, I just kind of just was like a, a bit of a mess in a way. I felt like I was, you know, just drained. And I said, I, I don't know. I wonder why it happened, what, what it was that brought that to happen, because it stems over so many years, really. And she said that we were in the angels' choir together and we were both seraphims. And so that made all the sense to me. Because it was, it felt like there was a lot of angelic help around then.
up my frailty The times you had to carry me The times you let me see A candle in the darkness Oil upon the sea The star that was guiding me I know so well You caught me when I stumbled down The steepest steps of hell The trials of my childhood Will be the death of me Stay Later on, we did an album, a Renaissance album called Grandinelle Vento, and I wrote a poem called uh, Blood Silver Light Moon- Moonlight and gave it to Michael Dunford. And he came up with a song, and then I called John. I said, I need you to sing this with me because you're, uh, you're the other angel on this, you know. And it's just uh, piano and our voice. It's beautiful. So, and then he just, you know, Asia reformed, and it was just wonderful to see, you know, that what happened after that. And then sadly, of course, he was, he died in 2017. And that was, that was very sad. But he still, you know, he still kept to his life, you know, his new life, which is wonderful. You came over for the memorial concert. Did. Oh, that was wonderful. I got a bit of jet lag and I, I was told, oh, you know, you're not 10 30. I thought, oh, oh, no. But it was fabulous. Oh, my, for all day long. The day before was wonderful. The rehearsals and, and meeting up with everybody that I hadn't seen for years and some people in the prog world that I'd never met. You know, it was fantastic. Young and younger people, you know, in the school of rock that were part of it. How wonderful was that? You know, John was really great with with uh, with everybody, including young musicians and all kinds of things like that. Uh, yeah, and I, so I went on and uh, and performed that with Jeff Downs, Billy Sherwood, Harry Whitley. Oh, what a magnificent voice he did! He play, he sang the Asia songs. He was phenomenal. He also sang with Steve Hackett and Jay Shellen from Yes, and John Young, Martin Orford, and uh, so it was. It was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. I only sang two chorus, three choruses, you know, but it was like it was very emotional. I think it was great. There were many, you know, a, a lot of us got all these signs, different signs leading up to it. Like I was the couple the night before, I think before I left America, I was doing something, getting myself together, and I was in my kitchen, and, my, and then my den. I had there was a movie on. It was The Matador with Pierce Brosnan, and then it, I had it low, I didn't have it high. It a bit, uh, you know, just just in the background there, and I was. Then all of a sudden, in the heat of the moment, came on. Ah. It's in the movie, but it was so loud. It was extremely loud, and I knew that was John saying, "I know you're coming over," or you. Well, (laughs) he was here, obviously. Mm. When you die, I don't think that's it. There's there's all kinds of stuff that goes on. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he was here, and and Martin and Lisa, you know, as well had different. 
things that happened. You know, people that knew him, close to him, had lots of different, you know, think experiences before the show and after. It's still happening, really. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And so the, then this the box set came out. What a magnificent! Have you have you got the box set itself? Got the digital version. Well, you've seen the artwork. Is, yeah. Oh my god! And it's just it's beautifully done. And I opened it up and I just kind of hugged it and started crying. You know, it was like oh, it was amazing to see it. And then um, and then of course there's I think there's going to be another one as well, one or two, whenever coming up, uh, with a song in the end on it and a song that uh, Jeff and I wrote uh, during the pandemic as a tribute to John will be on there as well. Let's dance here in the cool night 
So you played briefly with John way back in the very start when you were in Renaissance. And it was interesting because before the pandemic, you played some of the Renaissance material, or at least Ireland, which was on um, Kings and Queens, and you didn't originally feature on. That was my audition song. Right. And when I, uh, you know, was in the cabaret group in London in, in the late 60s, <laughs> and then the guy, David Gardner, was the guitarist, and he said, Annie, I just found this ad in the Melody Maker. You know, you really need, you, you, but you're wasted here. Your voice needs to be somewhere else on its own, you know, not in a cabaret group and blah, blah, blah. And so I called um, the number up. It was the Melody Maker, called the number up, and uh, they were on tour in Germany, I believe it was, and the band was called Renaissance. And I went out and bought the album, Kings and Queens, and learned everything on it. So when they came back, I went I went over to, I think it was in, uh, it was either Weybridge or Adelstone. I'm not sure. It was it was Church Hall. And um, we went there. I went there on my own, actually. Did I go on my own? I think I did. I think I went on my own on the bus or something like that. <laughs> and I was wearing my Bieber coat, you know, my long hair parted in the middle and the long dress and everything. I was, you know, the part, definitely. But I knew even before I sang a note, when I walked in, I could feel, I could feel particularly the energy coming from Keith, Ralph, and, and Jim McCarty were also there, and Michael Dunford, um, John Tout was there as well, and it was really exciting. And uh, and I sang Island, and I just I, I knew it so well. And so when we did the Symphonic Journey DVD with the orchestra, our own orchestra that we formed, we did Island then. And it was a showstopper. We, well, we started doing it prior to that, but not for long. And then when we did the 50th anniversary, it was obvious that I needed to bring Jim over for it. So I flew Jim over from France because that's where he lives. And it was magic. Oh, my God, to have him on stage with an orchestra as well. And, you know, we were talking, isn't this amazing? When we rem remember going back and how we met and everything, here we are together again, full circle. It was wonderful. So that that's yeah yeah what a great song I love it I love it so it's one of my favorite songs in fact I just started painting songs as well because you know I'm a painter and uh, I've done two versions of Island because what I do is I tune into people's feelings about the song and then I paint their feelings and I'm just I'm just on the third one actually I've almost finished it but uh, and I don't have to listen to it because it's it's inside me you know but yeah that album Kings and Queens oh my gosh. Kings and Queens, the first track. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, I feel blessed and very fortunate that I, I, that happened to me. Like I was still having singing lessons with an opera singer up until 60, 69, I would say. And then I was did the cabaret thing. And then not long after, 1971 it was. 1970 was the audition. 71 was when I got the phone call. True. 
it was Miles Copeland who almost reconstituted Renaissance, which yeah. led to Ashes a Burning. Yeah, well, when I first joined, uh, John Michelle was the guy who was managing the band. And I think, I'm not sure if John Sherry Agency were working with him or not then, but um, gosh, it's such a long time ago. But John was, Michelle was with us a short time. And then Miles came along and Miles joined the John Sherry Agency as a manager, not as a booker. And yeah, he, he he brought in Wishbone Ash into the stable into John Sherry's a group of bands, and so he he heard us came and saw us play and, and immediately said, "Well, it was a six piece band. I was doing basically backing vocals. I think I only sang two songs of my own: Island and Face of Yesterday, which is another song I want to do one day, which is absolutely yeah. gorgeous." And uh, so he said, "We need to change this up." So he let go the lead singer, the male singer, Terry Crow, the bass player, Neil Corner. I think we kept the drummer, Terry Slade. Um, no, we didn't because it ended up with – no, it didn't. That, that was before because we did tour a little bit before that happened. Yeah. We played in Germany. actually did the Paris Olympia. Oh. Yeah, we did uh, some amazing shows. Then that's when Miles came into it and everything changed. And so it was just down to me and John Taub. Everybody was let go except me and John Tapp. Michael Dunford was kept on as the songwriter with Betty Thatcher. That's how, you know, we we went through. And then John Camp was the first one to come in. Perfect bass player with his Rickett Becker. Great sound for the band, perfect. Um, And then um, eventually we had uh, several, a couple of drummers. um, But in the end, Terry Sullivan was the one that we wanted and it was great, but just perfect combination, really. The lyrics for Renaissance, I think Mother Russia is a, oh. an amazing case in point. Was that Betty Thatcher? Yeah, Betty Thatcher wrote all the words when I, you know, nearly all, most of the words of all the, all the songs, particularly all the great songs. You know, John Camp did write a few nice, beautiful songs as well, but Betty was the main one right from the start. Yeah, she was fantastic, my God. Terry told me, because Terry was very close to Betty, and said that, you know, he asked her once, he said, well, how do you do it? How do you do your process of writing the words? How did they come to you? And she said she just sits, she's got a chair that she sits in, in in Cornwall when she was alive, in a corner in this room, and she said, I just plug in. And that's what I do when I paint. It's like a kind of a synesthesia situation, like, you know, people can smell colour and when they write down music, it comes out in colour and all different things like that. It's a form of synesthesia. That's what I believe. Or it's heavenly. Whatever it is, thank you. <laughs> you know, and thank you for Betty because that's I think it comes from a similar place. It's just magnificent. But I know that for a fact with that song, she wrote, she'd read the book A Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. What a song. Oh, with orchestra as well, my gosh. I remember in the studio, it was like riveting. It was like, I think we were all crying. Very, very, very emotional. Everybody was so affected by it. A lot of the songs, a lot of our songs are like that. But that was, that was the master.
did you ever have to ask about what the lyrics meant or were they explained to you? How did that work? She did explain and and also, you know, a couple that she had written about me uh, was um, Ocean Gypsy, also Trip to the Fair. Trip to the Fair. Was that about you meeting Roy Wood for the first time? It was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was our first date. Yeah, met him when, on a day off, actually. I think we were recording at the time, Scheherazade and Other Stories, and we had a few days off. And that, that was a del- We were doing a lot of it at Delaney Studios. And also, I think that we did some at Abbey Road as well. Dick Plant said to me, Annie, he said, why don't you come down on your day off and meet Roy Wood? He said, I know you get on like a house on fire because he's an upcase like you, you know. <laughs> and uh, that's what happened. You know, we a genius. Oh, my gosh, so many stories I could tell me. He's, 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 he's absolute genius, wonderful. And uh, I learned a lot from him. But the first date was with the Dick Plant and his wife, Annie. She was called Annie. He went to Trader Vic's in the Grosvenor Hotel. It was in the basement. What a fabulous, it was like being in Polynesia, you know, that's what it, it was, Polynesian food. And uh, it was magical. And we were drinking these like fish bowls full of, they're called scorpions. I think I had three. And <laughs> I'm amazed actually we're still alive after that, to be honest. So, yeah, uh, and we had an amazing meal. We even had the gardenias that were sitting on the top because we had three of them. Or, so we let's eat the flowers as well, you know. And then we, we left and they said, there's a fair on it, Hampstead Heath. So it must, I think it was Easter time. And we got there because we were the last to leave the restaurant. So God knows what time it was. And we got to the fair and there was nobody there. And Betty had said to me, let call me and let me know what happened. You know, that's what I did. And that's the song. Brilliant song. I love God. Song.
I took a trip down to look at the fair. When I arrived, I found nobody there. It seemed I was all alone. Must be that they've all gone home. A trip to the fair, but nobody was there. A trip. To the fair, but nobody was there. Voices of yesterday make not a sound. Even the roundabout stopped going round. I wonder just what it means. Is everything how it seems? Came onto the scene. Wheels began turning. I started to scream. A carousel swung around. My head spun and hit the ground. A trip to the fair, but nobody was there. A trip to the
Cherry Red have done um, some fine work of reissuing and, and expanding a number of those amazing Renaissance albums. And I think it's uh, on the expanded version of Novella where the Royal Albert Hall concert from late 1977. Hmm. But I've been listening back and you, you've got versions of Midas Man, for example. What was it like? You've done quite a number at, at that time of huge shows. I know. And it's funny I mean, you don't forget about it, but you, you've, you've still got to live your life. So it's, all of a sudden you, you you think about it and you bring it up like that and it's like, oh, my God, you know, Carnegie Hall. I mean, we've done everything that anybody could ever dream of as being a musician, you know, everything, everywhere. Oh, gosh, when we did the Albert Hall, you know, my mum and dad came, everybody's parents came. Oh, my gosh, it was just – and everybody had a box. All the parents had a box each. And Harry Rabinowitz, is a very well-known uh, known conductor, um, was conducting us, you know, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. It was unreal. I'd like to do it again, and then I'd think, I'd, you know, I'm here now. Uh, you know, it was just surreal, the same as Carnegie Hall was. It was like, where are we, what are we doing here? It's amazing. I joined the band in 71, and 75 we were in Carnegie Hall. That's pretty quick, isn't it? Unbelievable. Yeah. I wish, though, they had filmed both of those concerts and they never did. And I don't, not really not quite sure why that didn't happen because everybody was filming at that time, you know, Moody Blues filmed everything. Yeah, I, the experience was, you know, comes, I'm speechless really because, you know, we did Nassau Coliseum. We did spend a lot of time though in America and kind of not ignored, but we should have really gone further afield as well. At, at that time, we probably could have, gone to Australia and places like that in Japan but we didn't do that until I got my own solo band together and that's when you know that changed but um oh, I feel blessed to have done it you know 
Uh, and I think it's the kind of music that the albums that we did, they got stronger. You know, some people will get one or two good albums and then, you know, half of the album's good for one. But we, we were strong with some of our albums. Each one got better until we got to As You Door, which is, it's not really my favorite album, to be honest. Some of the couple of songs, but it was starting to change then. And, you know, with uh, Northern Lights being a hit, we had the pressure of, you know, come on, you can write hit singles, you know, let's have some more. And and all of a sudden I'm wearing a a denim jacket on the Timeline album. What happened there? You know, very odd. It was very odd time. But I had a gut feeling that we should have stayed. We should have stayed what with what, because there was nothing like it, nothing like us at all. This is um, a song all about money and a man called King Midas.
Roy Wood's advice was one of the contributing factors in, in making Northern Lights a hit. Yeah, well, Northern Lights, yeah, because when I was with Roy and we did um, Annie in Wonderland, I mean, he, I did so many different, you know, he, he I wouldn't say made me, um, but I've got a strong personality as well. And he said, I think I'd, I'd like you to do a lot of tracking on this. I said, I don't want to because people want to hear my voice, you know, that kind of thing. But Because his mind is like, you know, hit singles and he knows what to do, really. We did Northern Lights, but it wasn't quite right. It wasn't, it wasn't quite finished. And I did my vocal on it, the lead vocal, and I talked to, to Roy, and then I talked to the band. I said, you know, I think that we need to treble track my voice. And that's what we did. It completely changed it, just to put two more voices on there. Yeah, thanks, Roy. <laughs> Are you aware of um, – there's a lot of these um, people that critique music and music videos and, and talk – and there's a hell of a lot on Renaissance, and it, you must be gaining a, a huge following because they're, they're very positive. They are. Yeah, the first one I saw was a couple of years ago with a, an American guy called Doug Helvering, who's a choir master and is a classical composer himself. Wonderful guy. And he's got uh, this thing on YouTube called The Daily Doug. And a fan wrote to me, he said, you've got to look at this. And he was critiquing some music that he'd never heard before. Or, and voices he'd never heard before. And so he was critiquing things I don't understand. And what he did was he didn't just talk about the music. He had a piano in front of him. So he'd be going, he'd be saying, oh, well, John Tart's playing this. He's going down to this F sharp. What, what the, what's going on? And he was very visual. He'd go, whoa. And, 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 and then he, but it was very interesting, particularly, I think, for you young musicians. You know, give them all these ideas and everything. And then when my voice came in, he went, oh. you know, he was like, because he, he'd never heard my voice before. So he was like, it's funny because he, he had a great way, great way with words. And he just said things that, uh, and about the music, he just said things that I'd never heard before, just put them in such a way that you thought, oh my God, he's right. And what a way to say it. It's like, oh, every, you know, like, yes, they're the same. It's, it's just yeah. fantastic music. You know, where does it come from? Again, it could be like coming from the heavens, you know, whatever, channeling. And um, well, one thing he said, and I thought, well, what, and it actually brought a tear to my eye. And he's kind of, and I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but I think it was a beautiful thing to say. He said, that voice is a beacon for the planet. And, it, and I thought, oh my God, because I was, feel sometimes when I sing in my best, I feel like it's just going so far, so far. Sometimes I don't think it's it's all about the music either. It's, you know, whatever it is that we have, the energy is projecting it out. And if it's good, it's going to last. It's a shame that we, we did what we did 
and changed everything. Otherwise, we would have been as big as Yes and Genesis and everybody. We had the talent and that we were different. But then again, I wouldn't want to change anything because I wouldn't be painting there probably. I might be a housewife or who knows where I'd be. You don't know. So this is where I'm meant to be. You know, I believe that, that, that this is it. So never knew I moved to America either. That's another thing. And that, that I was the last one. I said, I'll never move there. <laughs> and I was the only one that did. <laughs> never say never. <laughs>
you mentioned painting and um one of the great songs in your back catalogue from you know more recent years and that's symphony of light with that link to leonardo da vinci i mean that that's an amazing song can you tell me about the sort of background behind that yeah, it gives me the shivers when I think about that. Yeah, I've always loved Leonardo da Vinci. And a friend of mine, a neighbour, Kay, went to France and went to visit the chapel where he's buried and saw the apartment where he lived and that kind of thing. And she brought back a beautiful book for me and a couple of things. And then we went to see the Da Vinci Code. Oh, my gosh, I just fell in love with that movie. I didn't paint anything straight away, but a, a couple of weeks later... Because I don't like to waste paint, and I don't use a great, I don't use thick paint, so it seems to last forever. My paint, I rarely buy paint, and so I had some paint left over, and it was getting dark this one day. And I had an oval canvas. I thought I'm going to use this on this canvas. I'll show it to you in a second. I had black, I had brown, I had red, I had yellow, I had white, black, and that was it actually. And I. I wasn't thinking about anything like I normally, if I'm just doing paintings for just to get it out of me because I feel like I'm full of it, anything can come. I don't plan it. I don't plan the colours, except if there's any left, I'll use all those colours. So I did this painting and then I did a little white bit on the on the top and I thought, oh, maybe I'll put a little star in here. But it was like somebody's hand got hold of my hand and made it into a dragonfly. So he painted quite a few dragonflies. I'll, sh- I'll show you the painting. Oh, fantastic. The dragonfly Yeah. I painted that. And then when we, we did the album in Grandinale Vento, which was in 2013, well, that's when it came out. 2011, I think it was, we started recording Ooh. it, 12. 2012, and Michael Dumford, we wrote the, the music, you know, the, I wrote the words and everything. And that's the one that John's songs on, Blood Silver. And so I said to Mick, I said, look, I would really love to write a piece about Leonardo da Vinci. And he said, no. He said, it's too literal. I said, okay. I said, starry, starry night. I said, do you know who that's about? He said, no. I said, Vincent van Gogh. And so he kind of poo-pooed it in a way, you know, because he's a man, wouldn't accept it. And what I did is I got this beautiful book. It's a really big book on Leonardo. I've got two actually, and it's all his paintings in colour. And I took it into the studio and I laid it. I said, Rave, the plays keyboards in Renaissance now. I'm going to put this on your keyboard if that's all right. It's not in the way. And I'm going to leave it there. And it was there. And I left it there for it to kind of soak into everybody. <laughs> and he, Nicky came up with this beautiful slow piece of music. And he said, can you take this home? Because he stayed up in New Jersey in a hotel. Yeah. Can you take it home and write, start writing the lyrics for it, do the this first part? And I stopped. I don't know how many times I had to stop my car. It poured through me, came straight wow. away. And it's just magnificent. What a piece of music. And every time we've we've played it live, especially with the orchestra, well, it, it just, I would come alive. I would change during that time period on stage. My, my voice would just like, it would just be perfection. It, for some reason... I've got this connection with him and I've, I've had other paintings that I've, I've done and I do something, I think, my God, that looks like a piece of velvet. I nearly just did this and I'm thinking it's not me, but he's magnificent, his work and, you know, he's vegetarian and he was a singer and he played an instrument as well. Also, he was an inventor as well. And that's the part where it's frantic in the song. 
um, with the uh, the instrumental part is when he's doing all the inventions and kind of straying away from the painting. But he needed the money to, to pay for his paints and to live.
visionary world, chariots on foot, change of plans, radiant scenes on
There's one final song, which I think you um, was from your solo career, but you um, you did it with Renaissance relatively recently, and that's um, Ananda. Yes. <laughs> Can you tell me about that? Is it Indian influence? Yeah, my brother Keith, bless his heart, he's in he lives in England now, and he's been a Krishna devotee for many, many, many God, I don't know, 50, 60 years, something like that, because he's he's eighty two, I think. And he was, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd always go on to me and I'd say, I, I don't, you know, I, I know, don't, you know, I, it was, I wasn't in that place to, to accept it as another form of, I hate the word, yeah. I don't like the word religion at all, to be honest. But I believed it because it, it, I, I, I believed it, but I'd not like to the, the state as he did, you know, and everything's connected. We're all connected. You know, you're connected to me. It's coming out now, you know, all this stuff, the planet and everything. But I always loved Indian food when I was younger. I had my first Indian meal in 1963 when I was doing the cabaret act. So that was around 68, 69, 68, 69. And that's when I was introduced to Indian curry. So I loved it. And then I started to love Indian clothes. And in the 70s, it was Indian paisleys and kathans and everything, you know. And then I was in a band before for like, three shows called Indian Silk. We were like a wedding band, I guess. We only did three shows. I, don't, I can't even remember if we got paid. I remember buying a silk, long silk kaftan in kind of a beige silk with pale blue embroidery on it. And I think, I wish I'd got that now. Do you know what I mean? Things you have and you, where did it go? And my name is Haslam. So Aslam is a, A-S-L-A-M is an Indian name. And I guess, I, you know, maybe in a previous lifetime, I'm sure I must have been there. Absolutely. And so when Rave and I were doing the songs for the dawn of Ananda, and so that I just wrote the words out, you know, that just came to me, and, and that's what Rave came up with. We just love that kind of the the whole feel about India and and that. And you've got um, Spirit of Holidays show imminent as well. Yeah, that's coming up on the sixteenth at Sellersville Theatre in Pennsylvania, Sellersville, Pennsylvania, and we have so much fun. It's more of a comedy show, to be honest, more than anything. The same people that come every year, I'm sure. You know, well, I know that a lot of them are, but mm. we have such a great time. Yeah. When I was with Renaissance, I was I was kind of held back. And uh, they said, you're talking too much and stop laughing on stage. So when I got my solo band, uh, the floodgates opened, really, for me. And I could be myself. Uh, but that's fine, because it fitted the image as well, to be honest, you know, the music. Uh, in the 70s, I guess that's probably what they were worried about. But uh, the audience used to love it. Yeah. Yeah. But I got my way in the end. <laughs> yeah. But Ananda, actually, funnily enough, on this last tour, it's the first time we've ever done it live, I think. It really is an uplifting piece. It's, it's short, but it, I, and it shocked everybody, you know, because they didn't know they were going to be getting something like that, I don't think. But they liked it. Yeah, it's very up-tempo, makes you feel good. Before we go, Annie, can you tell me about your forthcoming album? 
Yes. Well, it was actually, we recorded it last fall in the US. It's called The Legacy Tour. And we decided to do some of my solo work as well, because I didn't know, you know, whether we would be able to tour again, because we don't know what's going to happen from one minute to another these days. And so we did five of my solo pieces along with the Renaissance pieces, and it fitted in really well. Uh, and that was with orchestra also. So I was that was really exciting. And so it's it's available on our website, which is renaissancetouring.com. And it's a nice combination of songs, I think. It worked really well. That's the most recent one we've done. You know, looking forward to, to the next year because all the shows that we couldn't tour this for because all the shows have been booked a year before. Right. Unbelievable. That's never happened before. So we're actually in the stages now planning a farewell tour. Will that be just in the US or will you be? In the US, it's too expensive. It can't. It's, we're not working enough to, yeah. to warrant taking the band anywhere else, unfortunately. It's very sad, but it's always been the problem for us, you know, being over here. So we'll have to come over. Yeah, you'll have to come over for it, Alana. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's other things that are going to happen, but I'm open. I'm not going to, I think it's best just to carry on and not, not expect too much. Yeah. Any changes that come up for all of us or whatever, just accept them and keep on with who we are. Keep smiling and be, be good to everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's how we're all going to survive what's going on. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Annie, for sharing your memories of John and the, the fantastic box set and then the amazing music that you've made and continue to make. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. So thank you again. Well, thank you. It was very nice to speak to you. All right. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening to the Strange Brew Podcast. If you do like the show, please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online. It's 10 years since I started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time. All your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests. To support me, just go to thestrangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. Thank you very much. Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.